So good evening everyone. Discussing the Bhagavat Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami, we're at the 89th Anucheda. <clears throat> Brahman is the attributeless magnificence of Bhagavan. Jiva Goswami. Therefore, since Brahman is the incomplete manifestation of Bhagavan, Sri Machadev describes it to King Sachivrata as the attributeless opulence of Bhagavan. Machadev says, You will know my glory, which is celebrated as Parambaraman, for it will be thoroughly revealed to you within your heart, both as a result of your profound inquiry and my mercy. The Anucheda continues, Mahima means Ashvarya. That is opulence without manifest attributes, nirvisesa. Therefore, by my mercy, Anugrahita, it will manifest in your heart, Hridi, meaning you will experience it directly, Vesyasi, in the trans-egoic state, Aparoksha, because of your profound inquiry, I will explain it to you. As the experience of Brahman is included within the experience of me, there is no need to experience anything other than me. Nevertheless, in the direct experience of me, many made explicit through devotion, the singular perception of Brahman is not very explicit. Still, even if you should wish to experience it clearly, then that will also occur. That is the intent of the passage. So, much of Dave's basically saying, if you want to experience Brahman, it's okay, I'll let you. Uh, but it's included in your experience of me, and you should see it as one of my opulences. But if you want to have experience of it in and of itself, I also can give you that experience. Now, this is not the first time that this has come up in the Bhagavat Sandarbha. It's been touched upon a few times is if the experience is desired by even by, even by one who's on the path to Bhagavan, who's a Vaishnav, still that experience is made available to them. And there was also indication earlier that the experience of Brahman will be actually had within Bhagavan realization when one comes to that stage of actually experiencing firsthand the form of the Lord, there will be the experience of Brahman just prior to that. And an analogy I believe was given at that time of I think it was something to do with like the flower or the staple, I think was the the more contemporary uh um, analogy used that is you're stapling 
it's really the, the staples going through individual sheets of paper, but it's like all at the same time. And Krishna says this in regards to a lot of things. If they still have a material desire and you want to experience it, I can arrange, I will arrange that. Whatever you have, whatever, whatever is, as my devotee, you will lack for nothing is basically what Krishna is saying. And here he's saying to Satyavrata, and because you had a desire to experience Brahman as Brahman, you will, that, that will be fulfilled in your revelation of what is the, the totalness of my being, of my, uh, my shroop, my potency. So in this particular Anucheta and in this verse from the Bhagavatam, Brahman is, is looked at as, as one of the opulences of the Supreme. So we'll see here, we're seeing that Brahman can be viewed differently according to different conceptions. Some think that some tra even there's a class of transcendentalists that accept it as the ultimate perception of the absolute truth, of the supreme. And they don't go any further than that. Although they have to they have to follow the path of devotion to Bhagavan to get to Brahman. So it's kind of from our perspective, it's like, well, why would you, once you've experienced uh, the Supreme in his personal feature, why, why would you want to give that up in deference to uh, the impersonal conception and experience that? Why do you want to... Why do you desire Sayuja? For us, it's inconceivable. Knowing, as we do, from the Acharyas in our line, that that pleasure is simply paltry in, in relationship to what can be experienced eternally in a loving exchange with the Sup Supreme Lord. Similarly, Sri Uddhava said, These two lords, Makunda and Balaram, are each the life-giving seed, the efficient cause, the efficient cause, and then we have the material cause, and the womb, the material cause of the cosmos. They're actually both. Both conscious creator, Purusha, and inert primordial nature, pradana. They enter the hearts of living beings and regulate them as well as unqualified Brahman. They regulate both. They are the, um, they're the basis of both the living entities and, and, and the unqualified Brahman. They are the primordial supreme. A nice example is given here in the commentary. Let's say that you are you're a lover of sugar. Somebody may actually just really like sugar. 
<laughs> so if you're a lover of sugar, you also know, as a connoisseur of sugar, that it's white. But as a lover of sugar, the whiteness doesn't it doesn't really have any any influence on you. The whiteness could come or go, but you're you want the taste of the sugar. So that's an analogy that's used here in the commentary when it comes to Brahman revelation. That for the devotee he wants the taste of the sugar. And the whiteness all right, he may be aware of it. He may be aware that the Supreme has an all-pervasive aspect, which is the essence of our being individually of Satchitananda, but it's it's not of it's not of any consequence. It doesn't the whiteness doesn't enhance the taste for the devotee is the point that's being made. Uh, the mention is made. He has no interest in it. He even considers it distasteful. Now we're talking of Brahman. Why does he consider Brahman distasteful? Because it deprives him of the taste of devotion. Even to consider it. Even the Brahman, just Brahman, it's like uh, there's, there's nothing there for the devotee, for one who's tasted the sweetness of the Supreme. Going on to the 90th Anucheta. Here, Brahman is the opulence of Bhagavan. So again, continuing with the concept like the last verse of Ashwarya. Similarly, while describing his opulences, Sri Krishna says, this is from the 11th canto, I am earth, water, fire, air, and sky. The empirical I principle, the material ego, the Mahatattva, the causal elements, the living entity, material nature, the gunas of illumination, dynamicism, and inertia, and the transcendental Brahman. Sridhar Swami comments on this verse and says, also comments, Sri Krishna said, and I am para, which means Brahman. Therefore, the reverend Yamunacharya of the Sri Vaishnav Sampradaya has sung the Lord the universal egg everything inside it the ten coverings the three gunas the unmanifest primordial nature Pradhana the conscious beings Purusha the supreme destination Parampadam and Parbrahman which lies behind the beyond all are your opulences. This Purusha, this Prakrita, this is from another Shruti. This Purusha, this Prakriti, this Atma, this Brahman, 
this world and the worlds beyond sight are Sri Hari, who has no beginning and no end, who is within everything, beyond everything, and also manifests the universal form. So we can see Jiva Goswami just con is continuing to pound the post here and make it abundantly clear that the Brahman conception is subordinate. It's equated with other other aspects of the Supreme in relationship to the material nature. When Krishna speaks about, when others speak about Krishna and his various opulences, they include Brahman as one of them. Um, when the Lord himself talks about his various opulences, Brahman is just included along with the jivas, along with the earth, the sky, the water, I'm all these things. And I'm a Brahman. And here, you know, Yamunacharya, the same, you know, the same thing. He's praising the Lord and saying, we should be able to see the Lord in everything, in the universe, in the universal shell, in all the elements that cover the universes, um, in all the beings, in primordial nature, and we should see the Lord as lying beyond all those, all those things as Parabrahman. Uh, this is also, all these are your opulence. Now in this section, what we find that's interesting is uh, Jiva Goswami quotes Shruti, Smriti, and Purana, all three in the one Anucheda, because that's, again, he's going to look at it from all angles. He's going to provide, try to present it from all angles so that there really can't be any question about it. No matter how you want to look at how no, no matter how you understand Shastric evidence, I'm going to show you that Brahman is an aspect of the Supreme, but is, but is simply not the Supreme in all of its glory. So, He's quoted Shruti here. He's quoted, quoted Smriti, Srimad Bhagavatam, and the Sadhu, Yamunacharya. So he's, he's used all three as Praman, as evidence, because they all say the same thing. Shruti, Smriti, Purana. They're all saying Bhagavan. When we conceive of Bhagavan, when Bhagavan talks of himself, and when the Sadhu praises Bhagavan, then we have they all they all give us the same conclusion. So can there be any question about it? The one Shruti that's quoted here, the Panga Shruti, it's not available at this time, although the verse is quoted by Jiva. Um, so that's the only references we have to this particular Shruti. Shruti Smriti. So Shruti. Shruti is, is uh, the Upanishads. Apurusheya coming uh, not from a human source. 91st Anucheda. 
Brahman is the Lord's bodily effulgence. So this is another way to look at it. Jiva Goswami continues, because the variegatedness of the Lord is not evident in the Brahman effulgent, it is therefore also referred to as the glow of the Lord. As in Mother Devaki's prayers to Krishna, this is from Devaki, uh, when the Lord first appeared uh, to Vasudeva and Devaki in uh, the prison house of Kamsa. This form is said to be the unmanifested, the original, the effulgence of Brahman, Brahma Jyoti, beyond the material gunas and without transformation. So she's actually referring to the Lord who appeared in the prison house as it with nomenclature that one would think would be applied to an impersonal representation of the Supreme. She's, there's nothing here in her opening of her prayer to indicate the form of the Lord. This form, she's obviously seeing a form, but she's referring to it in an impersonal way, is said to be the unmanifest, the original, the effulgence of Brahman, Brahma Jyoti, beyond the material gunas and without transformation. Brahman is the effulgence, Jiva goes on, Brahma Jyoti, emanating from the Lord's transcendental form. Brahma Samhita similarly states, Yasya Prabha Prabhavato Jagadanda Koti, Koteshwasesa Visudati Vibhuti Bidam, Tad Brahma Niskalam Anantam Asesa Bhutam, Govinda Madhipurusham Tamaham Bajami. I worship Govinda, the original person whose effulgence is the non-differentiated, unlimited, all-pervading Brahman, distinct from the infinite affinity of glories of the mundane universe, containing planets such as the Earth. Again, not to be... Just to reinforce the point and pound the post, generally our conception of of uh, something that emanates from a source is that what's emanating is itself different from the source, and that when it gets too far away, it'll it'll transform and become something distinct and of itself independent of the source. So when we say, when we use nomenclature and when we read in scripture, nomenclature is used like the effulgence. Effulgence, that's more applicable. But when we use nomenclature like emanates from, we have to be careful that we don't apply a material conception to that. It's not like the, you know, the, the, the Brahman is emanating from the Supreme and then it's something different from the Supreme. It's going to get, you know, it's going to get far enough away and it'll just be, it'll be just a little, it's not like that.
Vermont is not like that. It is, it's, it's a characteristic of the Supreme. It's a characteristic of that, uh, you know, Ajnana Tattva, that non-dual substance. Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaniti, Sabjate. It's a nice commentary here. At night, when one sees a light bulb from a distance, it appears like a mass of light. When viewed up close, however, one recognizes its distinguishing features, the glass covering, the filament, the metal end, and so on. In the same way, the Lord appears like an undistinguished mass of luminosity to the jnani. And thus, scriptures sometimes describe God-realization as the experience of the Lord's bodily effulgence, Brahma Jyoti. Bhagavan is Dharmi and the entity who encompasses attributes within his fold. And Brahman effulgence is Dharma, or the encompassed attribute. Sri Brahma confirmed this in his prayers to Krishna in the verse from Brahma Samhita. Another point to be noted is that the word Brahman effulgence, Brahma Jyoti, the effulgence itself is Brahman and vice versa. The effulgence itself is Brahman. It's not like it's, it is Brahman. It is not that the effulgence is a quality of Brahman, which would imply that Brahman is separate from the effulgence. If Brahman is to be understood as the possessor of effulgence, then Brahman would mean Bhagavan. If we look to a possessor, then, then we have, then we've qualified Brahman as having having a source. Well, once we qualify the absolute as having form, of having attributes, of having potencies, then that qualified conception of the Supreme is the Bhagavan conception, whereas the unqualified conception is the Brahman conception. They're both the Supreme. Now, from the Vaishnav viewpoint, the Supreme this is an at the effulgence of the Lord is. I mean, it's you cannot separate it from Him, but it's not all that He is. So in that regard, He there's so much more to the Bhagavan conception than just His effulgence. Going on to the ninety-second Anucheta. Scriptures describe Bhagavan as beyond Brahman. Therefore, Jiva goes on, therefore Sri Rudra testified explicitly to the Prachetas that Bhagavan is Brahman, beyond Brahman. <clears throat> this is from the fourth canto. So, Shiva is talking to the Prachetas. A person who is surrendered directly to Bhagavan Vasudev, who is transcendental to the living entity, to the three gunas, and even to the mystery, 
i.e. the Supreme Brahman, is very dear to me. Again, Shiva's in his position as the Supreme Personality. Of, he is an incarnation of the Supreme also. So. Jiva explains, In the phrase, the mysteries described by our father, Pitra Nu Varnita Radha, Raha. The word Rahas, mystery, meant Brahman. Since Bhagavan is beyond even this Brahman, it naturally follows that he is transcendental to Pradhan, consisting of the three gunas and to the living entities, the jiva. One who surrenders to him directly by engaging in acts of intrinsic devotion, such as hearing about him, and not merely through the extraneous offering of the fruits of work, is dear to me. This is the natural syntax of the sentence. Jiva goes on. Similarly, in Vishnu Dharma Purana is the narration of the vow of Naraka Dwadasi, a hymn glorifying Sri Vishnu states. The one Supreme Lord Vasudev, the eminent self of all selves, permeates the elements, such as the sky, the subtle elements, such as sound, the senses, like the ear, the mahat, prakriti, purusha, and also brahman. Let my root sin of not awareness of him, which is the cause of hellish misery, be undone by understanding this truth, and may I, who am harmonized with virtue, grow ever victorious in spirit with each passing day. In the last verse of this selection, the word Sarvatma, the imminent self of all selves, cannot be interpreted in any other manner because of the context. Similarly, later in the narrative, it is stated, By performing devotional service, I will attain the same nature as the Lord, who permeates the Param Brahman, the manifest cosmos, and the unmanifest material nature. In the same Vishnu Dharma Purana is the description of the one worship of the lunar asterisms. Lunar asterisms. It is clearly stated that Bhagavan includes and transcends Brahman. O immeasurable Lord Achuta, O Supreme Self. You are transcendental even to Parabrahman, which is beyond everything in the material world. O Achyuta, please fulfill my aspiration and dispel my misery. Vishnu Purana 115.55 also declares, You are beyond Brahman, the supreme transcendence. And the Shruti instructs, The Lord is beyond imperishable Brahman. Makunda Upanishad Krishna summarized all this up himself in speaking to Arjuna in the Gita. 
Since I am beyond both the perishable, the living beings, and the imperishable, Brahman, I am known both in the Vedic literature and among the people of the world as Purushottama, the Supreme Person. Therefore, in his commentary on this verse from the Gita, Vishwanath writes, Sri Krishna is beyond the living beings, beyond the imperishable Brahman, and beyond even the unchanging Paramatma known as Purusha. That brings us to the 93rd Anucheda. This is a very extensive Anucheda. It's broken apart into parts. And first we'll explain what Jiva is doing in this, in this Anucheda. The end of the last Anucheda, the commentator, Sachin Das Babaji, writes, the, Advait, the Advaitavadis consider the Upanishads and the Vedanta Sutra as the highest authority and build their theory of Brahman based upon them. Now our highest authority is the Srimad Bhagavatam as established by Jiva Goswami in his Tattva Sandarbha. So our topmost Praman is that. But the Advaitins, those, that class of transcendentalists, uh, their highest authority is the uh, Prastanatrayi. So that consists of the Upanishads, the Vedanta Sutra, and the Bhagavad Gita. So if you want to make an argument with that class, the Advaitins, you need to support your arguments with the scriptural texts, the, the Upanishads themselves, the commentary upon the Upanishads, the Vedanta Sutra, and the Bhagavad Gita. So that's the Prastana Trayi. So therefore, to quell all opposition, again, he's wrapping up his arguments. And in wrapping up this Bhagavat Sandarbha, which, if we really go back and think of what we've come up to in this Bhagavat Sandarbha, we said there was nothing, there was nothing we could say about Brahman so there wasn't any need to present a Sandarbha about Brahman. But really, what have we learned in the Bhagavat Sandarbha? We've learned about Bhagavan and we've learned about Brahman. So really, it primarily, the primary message has been what Bhagavan is and what Brahman is is as far as conceptions of the absolute truth. So in that regard, the Bhagavat Sandarbha, to some extent, is a Brahman Sandarbha. So, and it deals primarily with, with dissipating misconceptions 
regarding the Brahman conception of the Absolute. And um, Tapa Sandarbha is a lot about Brahman also. The last half, yes. Uh, after Jiva had established his his pramanas and and why why and after he established the the uh, the Bhagavatam as the uh, as the primary pramana, showing that all other scriptures really are pointing to the Bhagavatam and that everything is included there. And look look at all the spiritual authorities who have arrived at this conclusion through the ages. So we can rely on it. And not only can we rely on it, we can rely on the great commentary of Sridhar Swami because everyone respects Sridhar Swami. He is, he's a champion of the Advaitins and he's commented on the Bhagavatam. Now, he said things in the Bhagavatam commentary. Jeevan even mentions this. He said things in support of the Advaitant ideal of Brahman revelation. We're not going to use those portions of his commentary because we're going to show in these Sandarbhas that the Bhagavan conception is topmost. So then coming to the Bhagavat Sandarbha, he's really he's really presented extensively uh, what is Bhagavan in general and what is Brahman and of the two we need to rely on scripture and if we look primarily to the Brahman of the Bhagavatam, the Bhagavat Purana the topmost Purana, the spotless Purana then we'll arrive at that conclusion. But here I'm wrapping things up. So I'm going to show you that Shruti, Smriti, Puranadi, I can pull from any of those and make my point. And now I'm going to go take it even deeper. I'm going to use the very scriptures that the Advaitins consider necessary in order to make any valid argument when it comes to transcendental knowledge. So let's go to their Praman and let's look and see if we can make the same point. I've made the point extensively from the Bhagavatam through up to this point. And now I've given you some glimpse that it can be made according to Shruti, according to Smriti, according to other Puranas. Now let's go to the Advaitins' primary evidences and can we make the same point using their, those as evidence, as Praman? Well, as a matter of fact, we can. And so here, I will. So that's where we are here up to this Anucheda. So as I said, it's very extensive. And because of that, uh, I'll stop early tonight and we'll dive deeply into it in the next class. We're
coming to the end of these this Bhagavat uh, Sandarbha and then we'll be ready to start the Paramatma and really he is following the main course of Brahmati Paramatmati and then the next Sandarbha is the Krishna Sandarbha Bhagavan Iti Sabjate but Bhagavan in his topmost manifestation any questions yes I don't know if you said very yogis or transcendentalists they have an experience of Krishna and then and then they also experience the Brahman uh, whatever what kind of experience of Krishna do they have that well there takes there has to be in order to actually enter in to Brahman to actually attain moksha moksha is generally the ideal for all transcendentalists where except for us we just want prame we don't need to go anywhere or be have anything new added to what we are we know that we're spirit soul we're Krishna's eternal servants and all we want to do is is be able to fully fully relish that relationship in praying and love. So these liberations that the majority of transcendentalists want, we really will only accept those liberations that help us in bhakti ras, help us to taste the loving relationship with Krishna. So we're willing to live on Krishna's planet. We're willing to have his form willing to have his opulences we're not willing to merge into him but those others we can accept because they can in certain times facilitate our service and our service is the manifestation of our love so what was your specific question again They experience, they, well, they experience, uh, as Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur points out, they experience the sweetness of the Lord's form. That that could be accompanied by sattvic bhavs. Uh, they can experience trembling or irritation, tears from flow from their eyes. But that's not, that hasn't been the ideal of their sadhana. What is the ideal of our sadhana becomes our sadhya. So we, we have an established sadhya based on the school that we've been so fortunate as to, be, to become acquainted with through the sadhu. So... Their sadhana has only been one of, of jnana, of knowledge of the nature of the self. They're not relishers of the Bhagavatam, as explained here at the beginning of this particular Adhacheta that we're going to be getting, be getting into in the next class. Rather, they're into the Upanishads, the Vedanta Sutra, and the Bhagavad Gita as much as it's in support of, uh, you know, Brahman. 
but they do experience the sweetness of the Lord's form and then they remove their hook-like mind from that form because they have an iron heart, as Vishwanath says, and then they can merge into the Supreme. Can we conceive of it? No, Vishwanath has a hard time. He just says, look, they have a hard heart. They have a heart of iron. It's impenetrable. Even the tears of ecstasy that flow in association with seeing the form of the Lord and experiencing that form can't even melt their iron-like hearts. Supposedly, Mirabai is an example. Like she, I mean, I've read the story of her, and she loved Krishna, and she saw him as a person, and but then she merged. She wanted to merge. Well, then ultimately she wasn't a bhakti. And the reason you can tell she wasn't a bhakti, bhakti is why. Because she didn't want to associate with the bhaktas. And she only wanted God to herself. Well, there's not, there's no possibility of having God to yourself and then, unless there's only you and God. Well, you're going to have to merge with him. Because you can't have God independent of his associates unless you have a relationship with his associates. I was thinking too, you know, Brahmavadis are sitting around having classes and they're saying, you know, so some people experience sugar and, you know, sugar is white, but for them it's sweet, you know, but we, <laughs> we, we like the whiteness, but we have know, the knowledge that it is white. They're attracted to the sweetness that emanates throughout the sugar, but you know, the, the whiteness, you know, so it's, there's the same thing. And then they can even say, yeah, and when, you know, it's just like the piercing of a, of, in, in a garland, you know, you go through that personal form and then you get to Brahman. I mean, they can have the same exact classes that we're having. It's all according to their association that gives them that sadhya, that gives them that prayogen. Um, and to them, that is all totally natural, just like for us. This is natural to us. And of course we want the taste of the sugar that's sweet. Why wouldn't but to them it's the white of the sugar that's quote unquote sweet to them. It's Well they're not looking for sweetness. Yeah, but it's it's like Right. It's the, I understand. That's the important thing to them. The whiteness. That's the the whiteness is more the truth of sugar yeah, than the sweetness. sweetness is the truth yeah, of sugar. Not attracted yes. to the whiteness takes precedent and the sweetness as the topmost quality. It's a kind of byproduct of concomitant things. Thank you so much for your association.